0: There's an increasingly prevailing sentiment across the NHL, across the whole hockey world, that your third line, even your fourth line, have to contribute offensively. I'm not necessarily a believer, but I am happy with what I'm hearing from the local team on that front, to say the least. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, and this is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer Daily Shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. Lars Eller and Noel Achari met with the Pittsburgh media remotely yesterday, and both of them stressed in separate interviews a seemingly collective message that they've been brought in not to score, but to prevent. And I got to tell you, that's okay with me. And I'm going to start with a negative as to why I feel that way. You will recall, if you were listening to this program on any kind of regular basis over the past season, that my number one criticism of the third and fourth lines wasn't that they didn't score. It was that they didn't do anything. They would be sent onto the rink by Mike Sullivan, final minute of a period, right after the first line or the second line had scored a big even strength goal, right after a power play goal, and they would give one up. And it just became so normal that we kind of stopped thinking about it. The focus, at least to the best of my ability to gauge the fan base, was, wow, why don't they ever score? But they weren't really needed to score. When you have a top six that's as productive, especially five on five, the way the Penguins were structured in the 2022-23 season, you didn't need anything more than just some routine goal prevention. I mean, you just take it to the other end of the rink and rag the puck. You know, you've got 55 seconds or whatever, win a draw, get it to the other side, and just Mess around with it in the corner, whatever. Kick it to each other. But don't let the other team score. Don't fall apart on the final rush. Don't look around to each other and say, hey, whose man was that? But if you think of who was part of those bottom six combinations, by and large, you're talking about guys who were defensively deficient with a couple of exceptions. I'm going to pick on somebody here. And I'm going to do this on purpose because I actually liked him as a player for the most part. And that was Danton Heinen. He was that guy who'd go out there in October and pop you a few goals and convince you almost instantly that he's the biggest bargain in the league. One million dollars. Wow. And he came back because he likes the coach. Remember that? And then what happens when Heinen stops scoring? He tends to stop scoring in 20 game intervals. And along that time, he's not at all sound defensively. He's one of those people who will come back into the defensive zone and his head on an unnecessary swivel, meaning it's just headless chicken time. And there's a goal in the back of the net and you don't even know who to blame. Eller, I'm going to go ahead and say it again. I don't care. You can play it back to me in November or December when you think he's a total bust or whatever and say, wow, you're just like the absolute worst hockey guy ever. That's fine. I'm still going to share with you what I really think. Watched Eller for a number of years. Got to know a lot about him from an experience that I had in Sochi, Russia at the 2014 Olympics that I'll share with you someday. With his signing, there was a fair amount of criticism. And I think it was fair criticism. It was people looking at his offensive production, dropping over the past couple of seasons, first with Washington, then in the year that he spent in Denver. And he's not an 18-goal guy as he was the year that the Capitals won the Cup. He's not a first-line guy as he was occasionally with Washington. He is, as he acknowledged in his interview yesterday, best suited as a third-line center. He's also best
1: suited as a defensive presence
0: here's a little bit of what he had to say yesterday
1: yeah playing behind those guys i think it'll be for me and guys you know like me it'll be our job to support them with you know secondary scoring and and uh i think you know being uh being very hard to play against i think always pittsburgh for me is like playing against playing against them especially with my time in washington it's always been You know when you're going up against the Penguins, it's going to be one of the most competitive teams, extremely competitive games, Um, and I think for for me, I'm going to provide a a highly competitive game uh, at both ends of the ice. you know, I think I'm a player that can play in any situation. That's what I've done for uh, the better part of my career. I can, I can play shorthanded. I can play on the power play. Uh, I can play in, in all kinds of different situations, mostly center, but I have played on the wing as well. So I think you can, you can use me uh, actually kind of, kind of everywhere. Uh, but third line center is where I've probably been the most effective uh, during my career. And... See, I like that.
0: I like that. I want to hear that. I don't want to hear Eller say, this is the year I have my big bounce back and put up a bunch of points. This is the year that I'm going to work my way up to the top two lines again. No, no. Now, you're counting on a couple of things to make this work. One is the obvious. It's that Eller and Achari and Matt Nieto and others who are on that bottom six, I guess we can throw... Drew O'Connor into that mix, they're going to need to do their jobs, and they're going to need to prioritize, to emphasize, not just defending, but also forechecking, keeping the puck at the other end of the rink. Give everyone a little bit of a breather, but as long as you're at it, wear down the other team's defense at least a little bit. Something else that didn't happen this past season with that miserable bottom six. Now, the other thing that's going to have to happen, and this is completely out of their control, obviously, is that the top six are going to have to do their part. That means, you know, Sid and Jake and Gino and Ricard Raquel and Brian Rust throwing Riley Smith into that equation as well. In addition to the power play, that vexing power play. Because you are not going to get goals from this bottom six. And I'm going to repeat, you don't need to either. But all of it's got to work in concert. When we come back, J1Q. This segment of Daily Shots brought to you by Family Table. Mom-inspired, chef-prepared meals delivered straight to your door. No prep, no mess, just reheat. That gives you more time for your family or hobbies. Go to FamilyTablePGH.com. Use the code DK40, that's DK40, for 40% off and free delivery on your first order. Order by noon Thursday for Monday delivery. Family Table, bringing families back to the dinner table. from James who asks, plain and simple, how about the Penguins find somebody who can or will clear guys out of the crease? From there, watch Tristan Jari's numbers shoot up. You know, I'm not in the habit of making excuses for Jari, including as it relates to his injuries. But if you go back to Game 7 against the Rangers, in which case you'd better believe Jari was playing through an injury since he had a broken freaking foot and according to Jari himself, wasn't going to be available for the second round at all, had the Penguins won that night, you can't forget that the Rangers just repeatedly scored either unimpeded from in front of the net or off Mike Matheson's feet in some form, again and again and again, like they were using his feet as a cue shot. It wasn't a good look for the team. It was something that bothered them, and specifically Mike Sullivan throughout that offseason. It might have contributed to Matheson being traded to the Canadians for Jeff Petrie. It might have contributed to John Marino being traded to the Devils for Ty Smith. You can say what you want about those trades. I'm just sharing what very readily could have been. The reasoning for moving those guys out. Now, the guys who came in return, you know, Petrie's not exactly that guy, not at this stage of his career. And Smith is the polar opposite of that type of defenseman. So again, I'm not sitting here defending the trades, just trying to explain to what extent that appeared to influence those moves. This team is not poised to be any better in that area. The player who is the most aggressive and the most physical in front of the net is Chris Letang. Anybody who doesn't know that or wouldn't think that needs to pay attention to him a little bit more closely. The next guy down on that list is Marcus Pedersen, who's a wire. And that's the end of the list. And that includes, by the way, Ryan Graves, the newcomer from the Devils. He's not that player either. He's got size, six five, and everything, but he's not somebody who's going to stand in front of the net and dare you to come there and beat the living snot out of you when you do. They just don't have this. What's more, and I've criticized the coaching staff for this several times in the past, there's also a process through which you'll occasionally see the Penguins defenseman, that's singular, front the player that's in front of the net. In other words, they'll just leave him alone to do whatever it is that he wants and instead prioritize having their defenseman in a spot where he instead stops the shot from the outside. Well, that's asking a lot, you know? (laughs) You're asking the guy to knock down something that's coming at you at 95, 100 miles an hour? That's not their job. That's not an instinct for them. And in the meantime, the other team's forward is they're doing all kinds of terrible things to your goaltender i just don't like it i am not optimistic about it this facet going into this coming season we'll see if anything can be done about it between now and the opener i appreciate the question i appreciate everyone listening to daily shot of penguins we're going to do another one of these tomorrow